HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hey, what's up? This is John Norris, and you're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Harold Dieterle, who most know as the first winner of Top Chef, but uh, a lot of people don't know of his storied and legendary past growing up in Long Island, going to Spain after high school, coming back to the Culinary Institute, and uh, really learning his chops. Harold, thank you for being on. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, let's start from the beginning. You know, a lot of people know <clears throat> Top Chef, your notoriety there. Yep. Your wonderful restaurants here in New York, Perilla, and Kin Shop. But where did you start with food? Where did you grow up, and what did you start eating? Well, I mean, I grew up in a uh, an Italian-American household um, and some German influences on my father's side. So I had a lot of very, very rustic food, a lot of home-cooked meals. Um, we didn't we didn't go out to eat quite a bit. In fact, I, I didn't have my first avocado until I was 21, <laughs> which I think is crazy. Yeah. Um, and then you know, in inside high school, I kind of felt the felt the urge to to work the angle to 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 meet girls. So I took my you know I kind of got into cooking. I always say to to, to meet girls in in a home ec class. Yeah. <laughs> it, what was that? Middle school, high school? Yeah, that was. Very early on in high school, uh, probably when I was about 14, 15 yeah. years old. Did it work? I, yeah, it was okay. I mean, I wasn't the most popular kid, so yeah. I still, my cooking my cooking skills and, and, and my girl picking up skills weren't, neither were very good at the time. <laughs> Do you remember those first dishes uh, that you actually cooked in school? Yeah, I, I, I remember being quite overzealous with, uh, with the dried parsley and oregano making making pizza sauce yeah and, <laughs> and and putting way too much breading on fried chicken so yeah it was, isn't it amazing how many people start making pizza sauce with dried herbs yeah and cooked tomatoes yeah crazy and, and 
then it all of a sudden switches. It change once you have a like acidic San Marzano and fresh herbs. It's never look back. Oh, I mean, yeah, totally. I mean, especially on on you know a middle school middle school budget, we certainly weren't using using good ingredients. I mean, yeah, there was no know. rooftop garden. No, and, and I grew up with a garden in my backyard. So when my mom used to uh, when we used to make pizza at home, we used to use really all really nice homegrown ingredients. And I was looking at this stuff, and you know, pre shredded polio. I was like, what. You know what? The yeah. hell, what the hell am I going to do with this? Well, you used to help your mother do uh, Sicilian Sunday suppers. Yeah. What was that like? Well, you know, it it was great. I I just didn't have a ton of patience when I was a kid, and you know, I used to think everything you needed to cook as fast as possible and as quickly as possible. So, I think the first time she handed the reins to the sauce over, I burnt it in about seven minutes. And <laughs> just on on black, I was like, no, no, it's fine. She's like, you smell that? That smell is burnt. Yeah. So this speed, where did it come from? Did you watch television? I mean, there weren't really food shows at that time. No, well, you know, I also grew up playing a good amount of sports and just, you know, instilled in me in very early age was, you know, the the kind of the competitiveness of it. And so in my opinion, if you could do something quicker, quicker and faster, it was, you know, automatically better. Yeah. I but guess there's no slow and low in sports other than like Monopoly. I don't yeah. know. Some board games. You go on your nice, your nice you know afternoon stroll on the golf course i suppose is you know, yeah. very civilized but aside from that not so much yeah so you went through high school still with a focus on food did you uh, know what you wanted to do after high school yeah totally total focus on food um really started to to get into it from there i went to uh Bose's wilson tech where i actually spent half my day in high school taking a food preparation class and we would learn how to you know very 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 basic kitchen skills some basic knife skills how to make you know your mother's sauces, and then a little a little more advanced stuff, but nothing nothing too crazy. And then uh, went to the Culinary Institute of America. Yeah, but in between, you went to Spain. Yeah, right after high school, went to Spain, <clears throat> uh, Madrid, and you know, it just really spent a lot of time picking peas and watching paella being made. Yeah, never, never really got to get my hands dirty and and do anything terribly exciting. But how did you get the opportunity to do that? Well, it was a school trip. Yeah. So it was a based off of uh, uh, our language class. So we were, you know, bouncing bouncing around Spain a bit. Um, I spent uh, spent a couple a couple days inside uh, Madrid. Uh, we went then we went to uh, Sevilla, Toledo, and it was very much it was equally it was equally about you know learning. You know, seeing the sights and, and the history of Spain as it was for me cooking. When yeah. we had some free time, that's what I was doing. I was I was trying to get myself set up in anywhere I could. Yeah, and drinking of age. Uh, yes. Yeah. I yeah. think I, I did the same trip and ended in like Costa del Sol and Malaga. And yeah. I kind of remember that. Yeah, it was yeah. my, and it was my first un, you know, my first un, you know, ungroomed female experience. Yeah. <laughs> the girls don't shave their armpits. Yeah. Okay. Well, what am I going to do? Uh, <laughs> Just go with it. So, I mean, Spain had a profound, you know, influence on both your culinary and seemingly uh, lady life. Oh yeah. Um, when you came back to the states and went to the culinary institute, did you feel like you had an upper hand at school? Did you feel like you had some kind of education from this real life experience? Maybe. I mean, I was just just very cocky in general. I wasn't a humble kid, so <clears throat> if I had, I don't think there was any specific reason for it. It was just like I've I've always had a lot of confidence cooking. Yeah. So I mean, picking peas and watching paella being made aren't really techniques. No, no. So no. did you actually pick up anything, or did you just 
pick up the bug more so. Definitely pick up the bug. Definitely got into it. Um, I, I would say I didn't really, I, I didn't really pick up much skills. Maybe some discipline. To like I got, I got hollered at a lot because I would ask questions. My Spanish was really bad, and I was made fun of a good amount. Yeah, but I was okay with that. Yeah, how's your Spanish now? Uh, it's more. It, it it's definitely tending more towards Mexican now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not so much proper. Proper Spaniard. It's yeah. More, it's more Mexicano. Yeah. I think I used to, I was taught Andalusian. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's out the window. Yeah. I think I'm no more Ecuadorian dialect than yeah. I do. Yeah. Uh, Spanish. So coming to the Culinary Institute, what kind of foundation did you learn? <clears throat> I mean, it's a great program. I mean, it's, you know, school, like everybody asks me, you know, culinary school and not culinary school. It's not for everybody. It was definitely for me. I definitely needed discipline. I needed I needed to have a schedule. I needed to be told what to do because I just, at that time, um, I was ready, in my opinion, to start creating ready menus and be a chef at, you know, the tender age of 19 years yeah. old, which that wasn't really the case. Yeah. Did you actually write menus at that time? And I was, yeah, I was writing menus. My first job interview, I, I was a, a line cook and I was going to, you know, I had just graduated from school and I had told uh, a three-star New York Times chef. <laughs> that I wanted to, the only way I was taking the job was if I was going to be able to participate creatively towards the menu. Nice. And it was, it was hysterical. And he like <laughs> totally, he, he totally like, he totally played it off. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. He was like, he was like, made me think that he was so into it. it yeah. Was, it was fantastic. And a little, I didn't know, like he had told all the, the entire kitchen staff that we had had this conversation that I was hired Yeah, and they were just they were destroying me. They were all just like, "Oh, so like, tell me, tell me the special that." I, and it was like my first day on the job. Yeah, I couldn't do shit. Yeah, I was getting eaten alive. And they're all like, "Oh, so tell us about the special you want to run and run Saturday." Yeah, and I'm all fired up. I'm like, "Yeah, I want to do like a duck confit ravioli with like a blood orange beurre rouge." Yeah, and like we're talking like this is late April. You know, blood oranges are out of season. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not gonna just pull like you know the confit out of my ass yeah and they're all like oh yeah let's do it let's do it this is gonna be so cool yeah and everybody i was i, I was the big joke in town yeah <laughs> so i mean that was a humbling experience oh, yeah i'm very sure. humbling and then for the you know remaining three months i i lived off antacids because i was getting screamed at so much yeah yeah so i mean being in a position like that how did that reform how you approached restaurants well <clears throat> i mean t- to one degree i mean i think there's a time and a place in everybody's career where you're you know it's it's okay to have ideas of of grandeur at an early age um but you you just kind of need to know where you gotta you gotta pay your dues first and it's okay because your style is always evolving yeah and i think that's i think that's important i i I would rather have a cook that is a bit overzealous about about being creative than someone that's just afraid of afraid to put themselves out there yeah but i mean they still need that foundation it's got to have a foundation so you can't just have creative thoughts without having a, a way to execute them yeah but i mean you know i agree completely sorry to mean the move yeah <laughs> i agree completely you know so many so many times you have uh kids that are at a culinary school and they want to get down and dirty with like molecular gastronomy but they don't know how to roast a chicken yeah like that doesn't work for me yeah so your first few jobs Della Femina, uh, Femina in Long Island. Yeah. Uh, what what positions did you hold there? Uh, I was a line cook. Yeah. Yeah, I was a line cook. Uh, I did about two years there. They opened a restaurant inside New York City. Um, and I was a junior sous chef. I was a line cook into a junior sous chef um, over there. 
Uh, I had also worked at a restaurant called Red Bar, which uh, was a Hamptons restaurant they opened in the city. I was a sous chef there. Um, I did my internship at uh, the Mermaid Inn in Fire Island. I was an intern line cook there. A lot of, just a lot of getting yelled at about the same things from chefs yeah. and being really arrogant and cocky along the way. Uh, you were at 1770 House. Yep, 1770 House. It was the same chef that I'd worked for at uh, Dolphamina. Yeah. We opened that place up, and that was that was, that was was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I got a two-star review from the Times. Yep. What was it like being in a kitchen that garnered that kind of accolade? I mean, it was great. It was, it, it was interesting because it was basically a super small kitchen. It was just me and the chef cooking every night. We were doing, like, really, really beautiful food. I mean, I thought it was – I thought – Comparatively speaking to other restaurants that in, in Long Island, um, uh, a, you know, a two-star review in, in Long Island is, in my opinion, the equivalent of a one-star review in, in, in New York City. Um, I think it's, you know, goes down about, goes down about one star. Yeah. Um, but I thought we were doing like really, really, really beautiful food because we were the only people touching it every night and it was, it, it was really nice. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's going from the idea of wanting to maybe be a big box chef to a small one uh, how did that change your mode of thought and how you approached even creating menus I, you know it was interesting because that was that was a weird part that was a, it was a bit of a weird time in my life because I, I was only there for the summer um, I was actually at that point feeling a little burnt out in my career I didn't really know what I'd want to do I'd worked at Red Bar and uh, after 9-11 the restaurant had closed and I was feeling a little burnt out. Like I don't know if this was for me. This was the only time in my in my career where I had I had question I had questions. Like, am am I really am I really up for this? Because, you know, that was uh, I'd started cooking, you know, probably six years ago. Obviously, you know, we don't do this for the money. Yeah. And I was just trying to figure out, you know, like what what am I going to do? Like, so I was there for the summer. I was partying a lot. We were cooking really nice food. I thought the food was much better than the reviews we were getting. And I was I, I was I was terribly frustrated, and I was just ready to get back to the city at that point. Yeah, and what what age were you? Uh, at that point, I was probably about twenty three, twenty four. Yeah, it's amazing though that at that young age, a lot of people already feel burnt out. I mean, that's younger than most athletes feel burnt out. Yes, yeah. younger than most any other profession. Why do you think that is? Aside from the crazy hours, I, I think the crazy hours are are part of it, and I also think you know people. Well, folks in general that dine at restaurants or are passionate about food have a very romantic idea of the restaurant business, uh, where it's in reality it's 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 about repetition. In you know, in so many places you work at, you're doing very similar things day after day. It's the only way you get good at it. Um, and I feel feel like you get you can get you can get burnt out. Yeah. So how do you break out of that monotony? Well. For me, it was it, it was trying to uh, it, creating creating new challenges for myself, and I try and do that for my cooks as well. Um, you know, I, I it's the first kitchen that I've ever you know Perlin Kitchen Shop is the first kitchens that I've ever worked in where when I have a menu meeting, it's not just with the sous chefs. I get the whole entire kitchen staff involved, and it also it, it also helps for me as a manager to to separate the you know the the creators from the executors. Yeah, um, you need both. They're both equally important. But you know, the person, in my, the, you know, the folks in my opinion that are you know have longevity are the ones that are going to be able to create and have their own place someday. Yeah. So who knew that there were all these cogs in the industry? Yeah. Like how many positions you actually had to hold at the same time to be 
able to be a creative and successful chef. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come right back here with Harold Dieterle. I'm Michael Harlan Durkell, and you've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. market we believe in healthy snacking eating our veggies and supporting local check out brad's raw chips a local producer that created irresistible chips after their namesake's successful weight loss with a raw lifestyle their chips are gluten-free nutrient-packed and so good that you'll think you're indulging for more information visit bradsrawchips.com Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here with Harold Lee. We were just talking about promoting within ranks and, you know, mentoring people. Uh, it seems like throughout your career, uh, there were a lot of people yelling at you. But at the same time, you had people that pushed you. Oh, yeah. Um, in 2002, you accepted a job um, within the Jimmy Bradley group of restaurants. I think originally at the Harrison. Yep. Um, who was the chef there at that time? Uh, Joey Campanero. Yeah. Was he... A mentor for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, him and Jimmy were both mentors in in, in different ways. Uh, Joey was really the first chef that I worked for that really trusted me um, and gave me gave me a lot of room to, to grow and kind of do whatever I wanted at the restaurant. He also should, he, he also personally taught me how to make pasta. Yeah. Which up to that point I, I was I was clueless. Even though growing up in an, an Italian American household, we had you know strictly really only eaten dried pasta so like the whole world of fresh pasta was was an eye-opening experience and then jimmy really taught me how to run a run a business yeah which was huge how i mean what were the first lessons that jimmy gave you on the, how to run your own restaurant for, it, you know it started in very it started very you know small small bite-sized lessons like how do you do food like teaching me how to do food cost uh teaching me how to write a schedule and labor costs and then from there it was Moving on to, you know, uh, dealing with, I'd always dealt with purveyors and ordering that I, I had experience doing, but like if something broke, like, you know, what do you do when, when, you know, shit's always breaking yeah. in restaurants, always breaking. Like if I, 
I wish I had all that time to spend in the kitchen that I'm dealing with uh, technicians on the phone. Like, what happens when the HVAC goes down or a refrigerator yeah. goes down or there's a fire in the kitchen and I, I need to, you know, handle something. I remember within a six-month period at, at, at the Harrison, I had dealt with a fire in the kitchen. I had dealt with a flood um, and a snowstorm. Yeah, <laughs> and and someone and someone that snowstorm in the kitchen. No, no, no yeah, <laughs> snowstorm in the kitchen, and and a guest that I had to to go into the dining room, break up a fight between a bartender and a guest. Someone mysteriously the next day threw like a cinder block through a window. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it was you know it was just it was just crazy. Like you know he's like okay this is who you call like tell them we need to get this window fixed asap and it just it just happened. So yeah. And when you find a good HVAC guy, a good plumbing guy, a good repair guy, you hold on to them. They're yeah, like gold, right? Yeah, you hold on to them. It was interesting because you know I, I wasn't on the, you know I wasn't on the billing side of things. So I don't know what these people were actually charging at the time, but yeah, he you know he had his he had his core group of guys, so it was it was a good experience for me. Yeah. So Joey taught your fresh pasta. You eventually were cooking underneath uh, Brian. Be strong too. Yep. Um, how did these guys mentor you? How did they bring you along? Because you're in a position now with two restaurants, a whole bunch of people under you that you're trying to promote within the ranks and trying to, you know, push people to doing creative things of their own. See, it was interesting because Joey grew up in a similar household that I did um, in an Italian American family as well. Uh, Joey really knew how to manage me and he very much had me under control. Um, Brian is one of the nicest guys I've ever worked for. He had a bit of bit of a tougher time managing me because I was, <laughs> you know, I, I I caused I caused problems. Yeah, I caused problems at the time. You know, I was, uh, you know, fraternizing with the the hostess staff and the wait staff. I was, you know, young young single sous chef. Um, so he had he had a much tougher time managing me. But I learned a lot. I learned a lot from his his you know classical French technique, and it was great. Yeah. So. When you moved on from there, uh, was it literally a leap into opening your own places, or was that when Top Chef happened? That, I was at the Harrison when Top Chef happened. That happened in two thousand. I think I, sh- I filmed in two thousand five. <clears throat> um, I think I got back November November two thousand five, like right before Thanksgiving, and Brian had worked, uh, you know, like literally two weeks straight while I was while I was filming. So I kind of walked back right right like two days before. Uh, Thanksgiving with 30 turkeys to butcher and he's like alright have fun I'll see you I'll see you I'll see you after Thanksgiving welcome back little yeah. little did he know that you won well I didn't know I actually didn't know I had won either I knew I was in the finals but they didn't, they didn't shot the finale yet yeah yeah so how were your approach how did you apply for Top Chef a friend of mine who uh, was in television saw an ad for it and she was like you should do this you know you're very competitive you're you know, uh, kind of a sports guy. Yeah. And it kind of just makes sense, you know, cooking as a, as a competition for me. And I, I, you know, went to a couple, I went to an open call for it. I had the producer, you know, producer was asking me for a headshot and, you know, if I had a, had a bio and I was like, I don't have any of that stuff. I'm like, <laughs> I'm a cook. Yeah. I was like, why don't you come to the Harris and let me cook for you? Yeah. And then it seemed to go pretty well. I'd met them the next day. They put me on camera and I was kind of a wild man. Yeah, and they seem to eat it up. Wild man, in what way? <clears throat> I got myself pretty, pretty caffeinated, <laughs> and I was, you know, say, you know, showing off all sorts of nonsense. And they were like, "Oh, this guy's gonna be great. He's totally made for TV." Yeah, but do you feel like you you were, you were kind of portrayed a little more subdued uh, on air? Well, it's just more of me 
being down in the business in the kitchen, I don't really like yeah. to play around. Well, did you come in with a methodology? I definitely came in with, yeah, definitely had a methodology and a game plan because it's like, you know, you see the, the Hell's Kitchen where people what people want to see. Yeah. It's not I really mean, the quiet guy. But there weren't shows like that before Top Chef. I mean, you Hell's, had to... Well, they had a season of Hell's Kitchen under their belt up yeah. before. So you kind of based it off of that. Yeah. Now seeing, you know, how all these shows have proliferated, do you see people go on those shows? Do you even watch those shows? No. No. Um, I've seen a few. Well, it's embarrassing. Yeah. I, I've, you know, I, I, I know what it's like to go through it. It's, it's such a crazy experience, and you know, some some folks that have been on the show will come up to me and introduce themselves, and I really have no idea who they are. Yeah, I, I, I really should, but I just don't follow it. Yeah, I mean, what were the toughest things that happened during that show aside from just cooking competitions? I think the cooking is the easiest part. I think you know, for me, I was very much set in my ways. I hadn't had a roommate and you know over 10 years and now i'm in a room with four beds four crazies all sleeping on a twin size bed somebody snoring i'm just like what am i doing here yeah that was that was challenging it's the cooking was a very very small aspect of it like there was you know a lot of cameras in there the producers are trying to 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 stir up the stir up the the kettle a little bit get people to talk some trash about each other and i just wasn't into it yeah so We'll gloss over all those episodes because people could see them. I've yeah. actually never seen season one. I've actually never really even seen a whole episode of Top Chef. Wow. Um, don't really have <clears throat> TV. But uh, I'd rather be talking face-to-face and learning from those people and cool. you know, being on the ground. But what, what did Top Chef do for you other than maybe winning the money or getting no, notoriety that helped you open a restaurant? Did you change your idea of how you cooked or how you approached business? Um, that, I, I would say definitely not. I, I mean, I had a very specific idea of what I wanted to do. I always wanted to do, you know, a very comfortable neighborhood place. I think a lot of people, after, you know, it being, you know, me being attached to television, were expecting something very flashy and very yeah. large and 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 very loud. Um, that's really not me. That's not me at all. Yeah. Um, I definitely wanted to do something something a little more restraint and 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 you know i'm kind of a laid-back guy so yeah so i mean did you take any signature dishes from the show and bring them to the restaurant no i mean you know honestly like the the parameters at the time that you're cooking under are so challenging like you only have specific ingredients like i had a style um developed you know prior to going on to the sh- going on to the show um and i don't think that really changed after after i was on it yeah perillo opened up in 2006 can shop in what uh 2010 yep uh, you have a couple other restaurant idea projects in your mind right now. Yeah, we're working on the, you know, working on a meat restaurant right now. Yeah, um, which I'm very excited about. It'll be, you know, something that <clears throat> it it, it kind of goes back to just cooking, you know, cooking meat and food as a kid. Um, a meat focused restaurant with a lot of uh, German and Italian influences. Excellent. Are there trips? That have influenced that other restaurants because I know when you were opening up Kin Shop, it was because you had traveled to Thailand a whole bunch. Um, when did you start traveling to Thailand, and what was it that enamored you about that? Well, I had I'd taken it when I was actually still in high school. I had taken a trip to New York City, and I had, at my first Thai restaurant. I couldn't even tell you the name of the restaurant. I have no idea where it was. Um, we had literally got on the train. We were all, you know, underage drinking on the train. Yeah, that's what you do. We got at Penn Station, got into a cab. We're like, we took, asked the cab driver to take us to his favorite Thai restaurant. I don't know why. <laughs> so we just was he even Thai? No, was he, he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't Thai. Yeah. I just, uh, just I guess what you do. Yeah, when you're stupid and you know, 17 years old. Yeah. So we sat down, had ordered some, ordered, ordered some drinks, and just started eating Thai food. And I was just, I even, I couldn't tell you if it was 
if it was good Thai food, I, it was just I just the flavors were just so different than anything I had experienced at the time. Yeah, and uh, from there I, I I really started to research research Thai food to a degree. Um, it at it at you know the restaurants aren't open anymore. They used to have two restaurants, one in the West Village called uh, uh, Little Basil, and then Holy Basil on Second Avenue and Ninth Street, which is re- recently closed. Those were my two favorite Thai restaurants for quite a while. And and then in 2003, while I was at the Harrison, I decided to take a trip to Thailand. Yeah. And I had no guide. I didn't have anybody. I went there by myself and just kind of cooked around and ate around. Yeah. And it was very similar to my experience in Spain where I was staying at a really nice hotel. I spoke to the concierge. I was like, do you think I could hang out in the kitchen? He's like, sure. I went to the kitchen. Um, the corporate. Sh- I was at the, the Amari Watergate. The corporate chef happened to be hanging through there. I think he was a uh, New Zealand guy who was the only guy person in there that spoke kitchen. He was also the only male. It was an all-woman kitchen. Yeah. And I kind of just hung out, and I picked herbs. Yeah. And watched. Yeah. Do you think, well, I mean, yeah, it harkens back to, like, what you said in Spain. You you did some medial task and watched. I mean, there's so much you can just soak in visually. Yeah. Uh, well, at that time, I had some experience and some techniques. Yeah. I will say that I was able to watch them and... and you know, watching them make curry paste. Yeah. And, and, and you know, seeing how they make curries and watching them press their own coconut milk. And so I was actually, I, I, I was actually, you know, educated enough to the point where I could learn. Where I was in Spain, I was just ignorant and didn't know anybody. Yeah. So when, you know, people look around and get stages and they get bummed out if they don't get them, do you suggest that people just go out in the field and watch and, you know, uh, you know, do the medial tasks but be around food? Yeah, I mean, no one, you know, especially young cooks nowadays, just like they're, oh, boy, they're, how, to, how to not come off as an old man. I mean, they're <laughs> just, like, so soft. Like, they don't want to, they don't want to just do it and just get their hands dirty. Like, I have so many cooks that will, I'll set a stage up with or I'll set a kitchen trail up and they just don't even show up. Yeah. And it's all email. It's, like, no face-to-face. There's no one that, like comes beating down your door with a resume in their hand and says, I want a job or yeah. I want to, I want to be here. Not to open up the floodgates, but I mean, if someone came to your restaurant right now to Perilla or Ken shop said, Hey, can I just spend the day in the kitchen? Would you let them? Absolutely. I have, you know, all sorts of, all sorts of interns and stages there at all times. So it doesn't take a specific degree or, you know, everybody, protocol. everybody's, yeah. in, everybody's entitled to, to a shot and see what we're doing. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Love and kin shop. Cool. Can't wait till this meat restaurant's open up. And Perilla is that neighborhood restaurant we were all hoping for. Cool. Thank you so, very much. Thank you so much for being on. Um, and I hope to see you again soon. Maybe sure. I'll be the one coming to uh, Sounds great, your door. Thank you very much. Out. Thanks again. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to back, have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.